episode of Talking Forest today. We have a very special guest. John, you, you, you've covered a lot of strength and conditioning in your time, and you've covered not only sports at the highest level, now as you kind of enter into the tactical space, love for you to share some of your stories and your journey, both what has helped shape you as a coach and as a professional in general. But thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you. Awesome. So we typically start off each one of these podcasts with a story about the iron bug. So at some point in your career, you were either coached or you had an injury or you had something that made you fall in love with the barbell and, and fall in love with human performance. What was your iron bug story? Oh, I think for me, my motivation came when I was younger. Um, my father was a pretty strong guy. At least I thought he was. Um, and as I got older, I played high school sports like most kids. I got hurt uh, my sophomore year. I actually tore my, uh, I think it was my medial meniscus uh, in practice. And just curious as to how that happened. So as you continue on through school, you become more factual with a certain group, certain area, um, as, as anybody would. And for me, when I got to college, I was really in, I realized I, I really like working out a lot. I did. Um, even though I was not that strong, uh, I think <laughs> uh, as I am now, which I'm, I think I'm respectable at this point, but got into it, realized that, you know, I really like training a lot. And I kind of walked away from sport one, because I was too short and of course too round to play football at this point. So nobody wants a five foot eight round guy out there on their field like that. So <laughs> uh, reality kicked in real quick. So took an opportunity to go intern at Troy and uh, fell in love with, with the philosophy and the idea of actually training athletes. Uh, I knew I love being in the weight room and I, I was like, I can get paid for doing this. This is pretty cool. And been a part of every single, every, every, ever since. So I've been pretty happy with, uh, with my decision to this point. Yeah. And so as you kind of took that passion and tried to turn it into a profession, what were those steps like? Because I think oftentimes when we speak with younger coaches, they think that it's a very linear laid out process of success. And oh. so understanding that sometimes in your journey, it's the unexpected turns that make the biggest impact. What was that kind of step? Uh, what did that step look like for you, uh, both as you started and now as you've kind of emerged into the tactical space? Oh, well, starting off originally, um, like anybody comes to any type of field, I imagine you come with the idea that it's going to be a straight line, like you said, linear progression. Uh, you think you're going to walk into a situation, you know, get the education, get the certification, get the experience and walk into your first full time gig. And you're making a respectable amount of money. Uh, as we're all aware, that's that's not always the case. <laughs> um, for me, that's when it really hit me as a young coach that um, it's a process. And it's going to take time before you get to where you really want to be so, or to where you really want to be. Um, I think for me, the first thing I learned a uh, hard lesson was from my mentor was be prepared to be the first one blamed and the last one thanked for anything. It's a very humbling job. And it didn't resonate with me at that point. You know, as a GA, I'm like, I'm excited. I'm here working with football, working with these other sports and everything. But as you get older, you realize that, you know, it's very, it is very much so a very humbling job. You, nobody's not always, you know, you're, you're that one piece. I tell people all the time, you're the, you're the piece that's responsible, right? You hold people accountable. It's that accountability piece, right? I'm the one that's going to come in and say, Hey, this is what we're going to do today. You know, coach, I'm not feeling like I can't live. We can always find something to do. We can be productive in this time. Um, and for most of the part, 
you know, nobody's coming to the sideline to interview the strength coach. You know, how'd you get these guys ready for the season? Nobody's asked us when they win the championship. Hey, strength coach. What? No, it's just, hey, you did your job. And, you know, the head coach wants to keep you great. You're doing something right. All right. <laughs> well, and how do you, as you, uh, to piggyback off that, how do you handle that responsibility when you don't necessarily have the authority to make the changes that maybe you would want to do, but then also not just be a drill sergeant where, you can't build a relationship because I think one of the things that really struck me when we last spoke was just how in tune you were to the reality of the individuals that you were working with. So throughout your time, has that changed or is it still something that, you know, you're working on? I think I'm still working on it. I think a little bit more so unconsciously. Um, I work with a very uh, special group and I, I love my guys. I love them all. They're, they're a good group to work with, but you know, when I first came in, I was really concerned about me as an individual developing a name for myself, trying to be like most people, the top guy at the next power five school working with football. Um, as I've gotten older and I've progressed in the field, I realized the relationships are more important than anything else. And I think that's what it comes to. I, I get the satisfaction of knowing that when people come and train me, it's not about just the weight room. They want to share with me life experiences. Hey, you know, coach, I got, you know, I I got engaged this weekend. I proposed to my girl, Hey, my, my little brother graduated from school, you know, just those little things you get invited into that world. And that for me is those are the big ones, right? When they're comfortable enough to be themselves around you to bring you into their world, you're doing something right as a coach, you know, because when they understand how much you care, they'll, they'll go through anything for you. And I think that's what it is. And I never, I never ask my guys go anything crazy. I mean, you know, conditioning is one thing, but you know, it is what it is. I mean, you know, that's just me and my thought process. But however, um, I, I'm really big on the relationship piece. And I do that. I just think that's my personality. I love people. I love being engaging with people um, because every day we all go through this thing called life and we all have experiences that we deal with on a daily basis. And to share in that situation makes us more human, I believe, you know? Yeah. And as you grew that, I know you mentioned you were at Troy, but then in your next step, how did you manage that being a young coach? being friendly, but not a friend, being mm. a position of power to be able to help someone train or tell them what to do, but mm. also to get them to do it with intent. Yeah. Um, so my next, you know, after being at Troy, I went down in terms of the level, right? Went to high school and really kind of get to the grassroots level strength conditioning really quick, because now you're working with people, uh, young athletes who are trying to get to where you just were, uh, where you were just, yeah, where you just were. You're dealing with kids who are, I mean, ninth graders, eighth graders, sixth graders, um, who are playing in this particular situation in a town where winning is, is everything, right? And so how do you relate to a kid who's 14, 15, almost 18 years old? I'm like, coach, if we win this, this game is over. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. Don't put that stress on yourself, dude. Like, seriously, come on. Like, you know, but I get it. You're, you're dealing with some high schools and I'm not going to say the high school, but it was a great high school program um, where you play football because your granddad played there. You know, your, your grandparents met there. You're coming in as a coach and like, hey, you know, to get there, I think the hardest thing I had to sell to a lot of kids was, hey, get the grades. You know, don't, don't, don't limit yourself to one option with just football. Let your, let your education be an opportunity to pay for you to go to school too as well. And for a lot of those kids, having someone such as myself um, there and to, you know, being a younger coach kind of worked to my advantage because most guys walk around like older guys and like, oh, you need to play this and you do that. And I was like, hey, look, man, I'm gonna keep it real with you. And, you know, not being their friend, but 
but being, like I said, being friendly enough to where they trust you. Um, and I know I did pretty good with a lot of those guys. You know, a lot of them now are playing at the next level. I know uh, two that are playing at the power five level who have had opportunity to watch. And it's just amazing to see the young men they've grown into. And they still reach out to, hey, coachy, man, I think for everything you did and all this right here. And I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm proud of you. You know, you made it farther than me. So I think I did something right in that regard. But uh, to have those those roots where they still want to reach out to you um, speaks volumes for sure. So that's kind of how I've taken on that, uh, especially working with younger athletes. It's just, you know, um, be able to meet them where they are and then grow from there. Yeah, mm. I couldn't agree more. I think about some of the athletes that I've had 10 years ago that are sending me pictures of their kids that yeah. say, you remember what you said to me in the weight room? Which is always a dangerous thing because you don't remember necessarily. <laughs> you don't necessarily remember. Uh, I hope it was good. Uh, it was so influential. Okay, good, good, good. All right, good. Um, but that's the impact because, again, we train people. We don't just train barbells. We don't train exactly. uh, in a laboratory. And I think that's one of the biggest paradoxes right now in the field is that you have access to some of the scientific stuff that just wasn't even – wasn't even conceivable five years, 10 years ago. But to your point, you got to meet them where they're at. And sometimes right. people just need a pat on the back. Sometimes they have to be told that they can be great because nobody's ever told them or no one's ever held them to a standard of just general life. And it could just be that you need to go to class. Well, and, I don't even go. Intent. and you know what? Even not just tell them they'll be great, but don't let your, don't be a victim of your own success or your own greatness, right? I think a lot of kids, uh, especially at that younger level, they get, Oh, man, again, going back to the situation, a lot of these kids were being promoted so much they forgot. Like, hey, man, you're still 17, you're still 18. You're not above the law. You know, you're not better. You look, you know, you've been blessed with opportunity. I'm here to make sure you make the most of it. But at the same time, don't forget, you know, you still got to put in work. You know, that's what's going to separate you because, you know, you're good here at this level. But you better go to college. Now everybody's just as good, if not, you know, and then it gets even more intense as you go from there. So uh, sometimes you got to have a little bit of reverse psychology on too. <laughs> right. Know? Well, that, that is the art. And I think the art is something that takes time. I don't think you can rush it. And that's where your mentorship and time on the floor just mm. can't be replaced. Um, and it's something that has to be crafted in a, in a world of Insta everything. It's hard to say, yeah, in five years, you're going to know a really important 1% more than what you currently do and how to handle relationships that can be often very daunting especially for a younger coach or even a coach who's in the middle of their uh career so thinking about what's going to take time and it just is what it is and what things you can accelerate through acquisition of knowledge or learning new skill sets but i want to take this to the next thing is that so after high school where did that next journey go with troy um so that's where it kind of hit me i I went to school my first year. I didn't declare my major. I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do in my life. I, I, I had this roadmap for myself. Like you said, right. I, I thought I was going to play football. Uh, I wanted to try to walk on and I did respectable both times. I tried to, but I clearly, I think there's just a sign in the sky saying it's just not meant for you. There's another direction for you. I uh, really love sport management at the time. Troy had a sport management degree. So I want to uh, look, deeper into the exercise physiology piece of it, fell in love with it. I struggled. Um, it's funny. The things we struggle the most sometimes have our most attention, right? <laughs> right. Oh goodness. So went into it with uh, the understanding, you know, that I knew that I had my strengths and my weaknesses. Um, I think that's one thing a lot of coaches, I think we need to work on is understand you're not going to know every single thing. 
Um, you're going to, it's okay to be a specialist to some degree with respect to the other areas that you have a general idea of. But for me, I struggled with the physiology. I, I'll be the first to tell you, I was not the smartest person in the classroom. However, I had a very good work ethic. And I think that's what pushed me to where I currently am now. Um, I look back on now, I'm like, wow, how did I make it this far? But I'm happy, right? <laughs> you know, um, but when I was there, I had the opportunity to intern. And that's when it kind of really hit the ground running with me in this field and my passion work with athletes. I realized that there are opportunities that I didn't receive as a, as a young athlete that I like, if I can ever get to a point where I can help others, this field allowed me to do that to provide those opportunities. So I kind of went into it head first and, and built a relationship with my mentor and, 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 and we've been close ever since and it's been great. So without question, after one internship, you were ready to go, you were qualified and you went right into a full-time director role um, and had <laughs> no worries, right? Is that, that's the yeah, way? Yeah, yeah. yeah that's, 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 how it, that's how I imagined it was going to go. Oh my goodness. I mean, I was, I didn't get to my first real gig um, until I came over to the tactical side. Um, and that was, wow. I, I graduated with my master's in Troy in 16. Yeah. 16. Uh, and I traveled to three or four different locations where I actually got a chance to put my you know, feet actually in the water and get them wet as regards to being an actual full-time coach with some kind of leadership or authority role uh, as pertained to the field. And I'm grateful for those experiences. And I had some, I and mean, we talked about it at dinner at the conference. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had some moments, man, where I was like, what in the hell? How did, what was, you know, I was like, what is going on? Um, but as I look back on it now, I laugh at it. Just like we're laughing at dinner, but in those moments, I'm like, whoa, okay, did I make the right decision? You know, because <laughs> I was like, goodness, like, I, I just want to make enough money, get some food and, you know, go get something to eat, some gas, you know, don't touch the food, it's for the athletes. What about me? I'm working to train them. <laughs> slice of pizza, please, you know, but, <laughs> you know, but hey, that's just how the ball bounces. Every job comes with discrepancies and, and every job has a lesson. You know, the lesson is not always what you want. It's also what you receive on the back end and things that you don't want others to go through. So I made a, I made a point. I changed that. I mean, now I, I have friends and people in the field and I'm like, hey, man, you know, I'm intern. I said, come on, let's get some food. They're like, really? I'm like, yeah, I, I know you're hungry. I know. <laughs> No. I know. <laughs> well, so, uh, when you went to those internship places, what's your best come on man moment where you just think about like, is this real life? Because oh. I remember from my personal experience that mm -hmm. my internship really, really shaped me when it's like the first time that you have to clean the weight room by yourself all weekend where you're handed a stack of cards and it's go audit this by yourself all weekend. You thought you had a weekend, sudden change. You're not. And go to do that and just like, like you said, you know, did I make the right choice? I love this, but like, not like that. What, what was your, what was your uh, come on man moment? Oh my goodness. What was my come on man moment? Um, Ooh, I think when I came back, I was interning um, at a university uh, and I had my degrees. I had my certifications, everything. And I was told my first day, you are not a coach. You are an intern. I said, excuse me. <laughs> and the players, you know, they looked at you just as such. I'm like, oh man, ho, 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 ho. You are not that much older than me, younger than me. And um, you know, we're not gonna have this. Now, granted, there's a lot of respect on both sides. Um, but uh in that situation, you know, it was a come on man moment for me because it was just like I like I feel like I went backwards right, for like right. a few months. I'm like, whoa, and, and it's cool. Um, I met some really great dudes when I was interning. 
and some of that we're all now like at different universities or like I said in the tactical realm but gosh it was that was a funny moment now when I first started in the field come on man moment uh and I it still gets to this day I was interning and at the time my mentor was like you know I'm teaching this class it's like 60 students I believe maybe 40 or 60 students uh, it was beginning weight training class at Troy. And he says, oh, I'm, I'm Richard Shaughnessy, and this is the weight training class. Uh, I'm responsible for keeping up with you guys, but John Erskine is going to be teaching it. I say what? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm like, excuse me? Uh, you know, he told me to walk down with him. I was like, I'm, I'm shadowing. I, I well, nobody told me this. I would have called out or something, you know, but uh, – he threw it on me. I, I took it. I ran with it. But uh, sometimes you need those moments. You know, they they build you. They mold you. And you need it because, you know, sometimes they want to see what you're going to do when, when you need the pressure. And I think I did pretty good on both sides. So, yeah, I remember all the time I'd have interns say, I don't like sudden changes. I'd like to know how I can plan my weekend. I'd like to know how this day is going to go. And I said, let's just be clear. Nobody enjoys sudden changes, but the nature of the game, especially if you're at a university that's got more than one team or you've got multiple responsibilities, you are the center cog of many different departments, many different stakeholders mm -hmm. and athletes and coaches and parents. And so you have to be that glue that brings it together. And that, again, that's one of the areas I'd like to see improve a little bit in the field as far as quality of life. But it is also a tremendous responsibility that people are looking to you to be yes. able to apply the correct training because the relationship is with you. The strength mm -hmm. coach is the one who spends the most time, even though we didn't recruit him. Even yep. though we didn't, you know, issue their scholarship, the relationship between the strength coach and the athletes or, or the operators that you're working with is so critical to the overall morale. And often the strength coach is going to find out about something first. Definitely. And we're going to be the ones that need to help either, you know, move that up the chain of command or be able to, you know, intervene and bring in an outside um, specialist. But you want to have that relationship super close. But again, that sudden change is less about what you do. Mm -hmm. you're going to get better through time, but do you panic or do you just refuse to operate and work because, oh, I didn't, I didn't know, or I wanted to go home by this time or that. You just had to know every day we had a general game plan, but be ready for an audible, be ready to go above and beyond if excellence is part of your core value. Yeah, you can go home, just be prepared not to come back <laughs> for real. So um, you, you have that option and you know, you're right. We have to fix that within the field because the quality of life, and I think it's one of the kind of things that kind of pushed me over to the tactical side. Um, you know, it's nothing against athletics. I love working with athletes in terms of, you know, you know, sports and whatnot as much as the next person. But, you know, again, the weekends, the constant hours, I mean, football season is pure hell. Um, I mean, you're always at the facility, well, anywhere from six to seven days a week. Um, and you, it's hard because you miss out on so much, especially when you think about, you know, holidays, you know, if family comes in town, hey, I can't be there. Or if I'm lucky to come home, I'm there for like a few hours or a day and I got to be right back, you know. So, no, I agree. Yeah, and I'm not sure if that originated because go back in time, the strength coach is often considered an extension of the football staff. Or mm -hmm. if you're dealing in a high performance paradigm, you're, you're, you're high up there. You might be like a general manager of performance. So you're needed, but not necessarily – those responsibilities aren't necessarily reflected in either the pay structure or mm -hmm. the compensation. And I'm not saying that everyone should have carte blanche, but if you work with a sport coach, if they win, they get paid more. If you work with a strength coach and they're able to, 
optimize recruiting. They're able to develop athletes. They're able to get athletes back on the field, keep them healthy and all these things. We've reached a point in the industry where these are measurable without mm-hmm. question. There's things that you can look at to say, this could be better or, you know what, this, this, this is actually, you know, fantastic. I said to one coach, I said, you have no idea how lucky you are to have the staff that's supporting your program. Cause as you mentioned, they're not interviewing the athletic trainer. They're not interviewing the strength coach unless, you know, things go wrong. And so I think it's really important to understand that. And I, and I hope that kind of as we move forward, there's greater clarity because mm-hmm. yeah, working long hours and this and that. Yeah. If, if you're making 500,000 or a million dollars a year, suddenly that's a lot different than as you alluded to, you know, some people are just trying to make sure they can eat and they're yeah. well below the poverty line. If you look at their hours that they put in both on the floor and off. Yeah, definitely. Now, you worked at the the collegiate level, you did your internships, and you learned a lot. How have you seen throughout, and you mentioned three different locations, how mm. did you see that evolve, both you as a professional, but also the sports that you worked with? Was it integration of technology, or where did you really kind of gain? We think about that 80-20 curve. Early mm. in the career, there's a lot of change and growth. What was your biggest growth or change that you saw throughout those three stops? Because I'm assuming they were all different in positive ways and negative ways, but how did you really assimilate that into your coaching? I would say the biggest one was um, me getting outside of myself. I think that's very common um, for a lot of young coaches. We have our idea of how things should be and you haven't experienced the world yet as it relates to athletes and who you're training. Uh, There's a different way. There's a thousand ways you can skin a cat, right? And nobody, you know, there's no one set way of programming. There's, Oh my goodness, so many programs. There's there's conjugate, there's the tier system, there's the, of course you got the fourth quarter, you have people who do various forms of block periodization. I mean, it, it linear. I mean, there's different ways to train. And within that, you have different scopes and ideas how people want to attack uh said models when it comes to training athletes. So that was my biggest one. Uh two was um, I think, like we said earlier, quality of life. I realized that. For me to be as young as I was, I was more stressed about being at work than enjoying myself as an individual. And, you know, again, your passion is just that. It's your passion. It should never become a situation where it stresses you to the point where you can't sleep at night and, you know, sleep comfortably at that. Um, So I would say those would be the top two, um, just being really so involved that you sometimes forget about yourself, that your own health can can also sometimes be... um, uh, be at risk. Um, even, you know, from a social or from, you know, your love life, if you want to call it that, uh, the amount of coaches who've lost, um, you know, who are not with their significant others anymore because of how much they dedicated to this field, um, or what they've lost as relates to the field in terms of housing cars. I mean, some of these stories, it it hurts to hear. Um, and it just, it, it does get you a little, you know, a little ticked off or a little, you know, frustrated because here it is, it's 2022. Are we 2022? Yeah, 2022. I know, right? It's that bad. Damn you, COVID. Um, <laughs> and we're in a situation now where we have to be strategic in putting people first. You know, there's nothing wrong with a coach coming in and training people and you know, doing his job. If he's got to be a football practice, okay, do I need to be here for the whole practice? Or I need to be warm up. I mean, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm there with these guys and it's not just football, it's basketball, it's baseball, it's softball, it's every sport. These are just, you know, football is the easiest one because it's about to be football season, which I'm ready for here soon. 
Um, hopefully my Jaguars win some games this season. Uh, but, um, you know, we, um, I think we, we have a lot of things we got to tackle on the personal side outside of the field. I've never met a coach that complains about doing their job. I feel like more people complain about what the job has cost them as it relates to their own uh, self-improvement uh, or growth or development going forward, if that makes sense. So, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at with that. I think more so it's just growing as an individual. It's the hardest one. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think if people understood the sacrifices that were made on the personal side for the professional improvement, um, I think they might look at it a little bit differently. And I thought that was one of the most important things that we tried to give people the experience when we were at Yale was that this is it. Mm. And having someone say, I don't want this. Like, I didn't know that this is what it was going to be like. Or, you know what? I actually do like it. This is what motivates me. As you mentioned, their passion becomes something that they love to do. So the actual work isn't a work. It's, it's a, a thing that gives them excitement. But you need to figure that out. And again, we would say a 10-hour coach is different than a 40-hour coach. And yeah. to do it day in and day out and always in a strengths uh, environment, you're working as part of a team. Mm -hmm. So even if you're not good at your job or you've reached your, your time limit, you're still going to have to be either a contributor or a negative energy that yeah. affects the group. And so I would always say, I'd, you know, I can teach you physics, I can teach you biology, but I can't teach your attitude. I think you're kind of either born with that. When, yeah. when it's at the worst times, the, the greatest suck, you either laugh and make a joke about it or gotcha. you just cannibalize yourselves and nobody wants to deal with that kind of misery. So that was a huge trait that we would look for early on um, with interns and then full-time staff. Well, um, you know, I agree with that too as well. Personality takes you so far, you know, and, and it's, uh, you know, the old saying is, is, is what you know or, you know, what you know to get there. Well, who you know to get there and what you know to stay. Um, and I think sometimes we forget that first one, you know, or the second one, excuse me, who, you know, what you, or who, you know, excuse me. I'm all over the place today, man. God, almighty. it's been a, it was like a break. Saturday, this day has been a day for me. Okay. I woke up with the intentions of getting a haircut, right. And went to the barbershop and I, I don't know if some of you guys, whatever, it doesn't matter. A two hour wait for a haircut. I have never been to a barbershop that packed before. Now, granted, Saturdays is a, is a crucial point. Well, Lord have mercy. So I had to drive to a whole different state today to get a haircut, which it was worth it. He did a good job, but I am just having a day. I got so much being pulled left and right, man. I'm telling you, you know, at that conference, I had the time of my life. You know, I was so relaxed and I came out to work. and was like, bam, a swift kick in the nuts right now. So I'm making the most of this to the best I can. So please bear with me, bro. I promise you. But um, <laughs> now, now that I had my little rant. I well, hey, listen, I understand, except for, <laughs> I haven't had a haircut since like 04 because I, I started shaving my head in high school because you know, uh, my I family looks like a bunch of Mr. Clean. So that's it. That's just oh, my goodness. It, it's can't fight genetics. It is what no, it is. You, you know what? I think I'm headed that way. I'm holding on everything I got. I promise you, I'm, I'm doing everything I can. I'm doing my research. You know, I'm, I'm not to the point of doing, you know, Rogaine or anything like that. But I am working on this the best I, that I can. But geez, <laughs> it does. But. You know, oh, I, I can't do the ball head thing, dude. That's not me. I, I know, right? Do you you see my head how it's shaped? I don't, I don't think I can do it. I don't think I I don't think I think I will hold on. I think I do. How long will I you keep do. up the fight, though? How long will you? Keep I don't. Up? You know, as long as there's still breath in my body. <laughs> we'll have to chronicle chronicle this journey here every couple we of are. months. See how you're hanging in we there. Are. 
I mean, it's it's. I mean, for the most part, I am doing great. But you know, I I I look at my dad. I'm just like, I don't want to do that, you know. And I'm like, I know my brother's kind of halfway there, and I'm like, uh, you know. But you know, I'm 31, so I got time. So I'm gonna make the most of it. <laughs> Hanging with that fight. I mean, it's just one of one of the many things that we have to worry about in today's time. But at least the barbershop's open. At least you can get yeah, in. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I can get in there. And uh, you know, it's, it's a little bit of my fault. I didn't schedule an appointment. I had to do a walk-in. So the walk-ins were two hours. Everybody else had an appointment, just go in, go out. But uh, I'm gonna get ahead of the curve though next time on that one. Definitely. <laughs> Always learning. Well, Always. walk walk me through. You mentioned the conference and then you came back to work. As you finished out throughout uh, football and kind of in the space that you're in now, we'll just generally refer to it as the tactical space. Mm. What did you see that carried over from athletics into tactical? And for anyone who's listening, if you're, say, um, one of our customers from overseas, there's been a tremendous shift in an approach to physical training as it relates to the military, the Department of Defense, and other sectors within the U.S. government. And so specifically, there's been a giant push both from from a health and wellness standpoint, but also really trying to take the professional athlete model with top tier operators and try to not only improve performance, but specifically um, in certain populations is extending longevity and operational effectiveness. And so this is a new space. I would, I would compare it probably to the early 90s and strength and conditioning where we know football works. So we're going to repurpose it for basketball, lacrosse and everything in between. And, and I think tactical, I'd love to hear your take on what mm-hmm. actually carries over, um, but also what's different. And then where do you see it going? Okay. Um, well, I would say starting off, I was lucky when I first came into the field, I, I worked multiple sports that made it a lot easier for me because training a male versus a female uh, is totally different. Uh, if you haven't done it before, you, you need to do that, you know, work in multiple sports, you know, don't become one dimensional when it comes to your training. Um, what really carried over for me, um, some of my coaching cues had to become a little bit more different. Um, is the relatability. Um, trying to teach things that reason more. So uh, I would say in tactical, you become more, you, you teach more of the why it's important. Not so much as, I mean, of course, football, I mean, all we're going to do is because we got to get stronger for season. Well, what do you tell somebody who doesn't have a season? You know, why is this, why is this important for me? Where what is their why? And I that's why I go back to the relationship building piece, right? If you develop those relationships, you can you can hear it, right? It's you know family reasons, it's um, health related reasons, um, or it can be job specific. You really learn quickly that not everybody needs to do a power clean, not everybody needs to work max effort. You know, there are certain areas within you know our accessory work that we need to do. Uh, for certain individuals that other people may not need to do, even when it comes to conditioning, you know? So that's kind of where, um, for me, the carryover was one, was understanding who's walking through that door and how do you approach them? Because, you know, you know the, 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 the weight room is always the same, but the jobs outside the weight room are totally different, but how people walk in, it always looks the same, right? You got a kid that comes in or you got an athlete, excuse me, I got a kid, you got somebody that comes through the door and you notice that they're not their usual self. Hey man, you're not you're not usually joking or laughing or maybe subtle self. What's going on? You, you're different today, and I'm thankful and I'm grateful that I work uh, in a situation where we have um, a unique staff, not just relating to the holistic side in terms of uh, the physical therapy, the dietary side of the house, athletic training, but more so the psychological. I mean, the, the you know that that is huge. I mean, you're dealing with tactical athletes. You know, mental health is probably the number one thing. Uh, and I've said this before on, a, on another podcast, maybe it was mine, but um, that, 
you have a lot of people who are dealing with stuff that will come into you and talk to you about that they won't share with people in that sector because again, they trust you. They see you every day. So you become that bridge between them getting the right help that they need uh, more so than not than anything else. Um, and I know for me, my first, when I first took on the, uh, the tactical role, my first job uh, was actually um, in, it was in Texas. And within the first week or two, two soldiers had committed suicide. Now, granted, I had met them in passing, just, hey, how you doing? But you ask yourself as a coach, just where that passion comes in, could I have made a difference? So when it comes to these guys, you're looking not just at them being in a peak physical state, but also a peak mental state. So that's something I would say carries over from both sides um, because our, now, nowadays, you know, you got athletes getting paid and, you know, everybody's pulling to them, especially if they have opportunity to make some really um, will make a really good living for themselves, you know, going to the next level in terms of professional sport. And that's stressful too. So, and I know that the college athletic side is, if it hasn't already, I know it's starting to push more towards the mental health side of things with sports psychologists and whatnot and counselors and things of that nature. So it's, I think it's important that we understand that for the most part, that, but that would be the most carryover. I would say it was the, the relationships and the psychological side of things for sure. And then of course, you know, while we're on here, we're going to probably talk about a little bit of sports science as well, which you know, I'm, I'm pretty decent at, but, you know, we'll say that for the next part. <laughs> so what is, what are some of those things from the sports science that you particularly think have the, the greatest application? Well, you know, of course, well, you know, everybody knows what you got your GPS. Uh, you're so many companies that have got some great units. Um, you also have force plates like Hawking. Uh, the <laughs> and then, you know, um, you know, I think for real, what what's really starting to boom now within the field is the implementation of the, or actually the re-implementation of velocity-based training. I mean, it's it's been around for, gosh, years. Um, but now I think it's becoming more accessible um, to, you know, people, it's more affordable for people to actually have it. We've been blessed um, uh, the unit I actually work with, I use Tendos. Um, I start off there because it just was a more simplified variation just to understand how to actually track velocity. Um, so if you're a young coach looking to start off, I mean, Tendo is a good place to start off. Like, don't try to go buy the most expensive thing out there if you don't know how to use it. So, uh, you know, get as much practice in as possible. We were fortunate to have you guys with us too as well. So having, um, you know, force plates as well as Tendo units and then having the opportunity to look into GPS, um, and just try to get it all to, to, to see the pattern between all three, you know, what's, what's going on. I think it's huge and it's, it's, it's important, um, to its own respect because in the day, this is what the field is shifting to. If you don't think it's not shifting to that, then why is an SCA come with a sports science certification? So clearly, you know, you know, numbers talk and people listen to numbers and facts for sure. So, um, my advice is if you're a young coach, you know, even if it's just a, a unit for yourself. I mean, I, my first started using GPS. I bought my first GPS just for myself to use uh, because I refuse to get behind the curve. So, I mean, whatever you got to do, make the right investments and right things for yourself and your future, man. No, you mentioned obviously the plates and, and besides the fact that that's, that's what we do here with the podcast oh, yeah. and, and educate, you bring up a point about it sounds like from your perspective, you have a specific way that you use them. And we have researchers around the world that'll do deep dives and they can you can get lost in the yes. data. But I'd love to hear because, again, if people knew how much time we spent on the location of a button, the layout of a report, how yeah. you make a template, how you integrate, how you connect to Bluetooth or how you connect to all these different things. There's these little nuances in innovation and particularly design and implementation that if done right, you don't even notice it. If yeah. done wrong, 
you don't want to use it. It's a chafe. It slows you down and doesn't help you with, with your job. And so anything that we roll out, we always try to ask ourselves, how does this help our end user do their job? And, and with that, what do you particularly find from plates or just any of the stuff that you mentioned, the feedback loop cycle that you use? What, what are the biggest things that make the impact to your day-to-day job? Um, I would say the utilization of the plates, um, as well as well, all of it, actually, it, it does drive buy-in. It drives intent more so than anything else. The athletes I have the opportunity to work with, you know, it's nothing like getting that instant feedback. Even for myself, you know, as a quasi former power lifter that's keeps saying gonna come back and he doesn't, but whatever. Yeah, I know you're laughing at me. It's fine. It's okay. I'm, I'm gonna come back one day, right? And you go, I might be 60, but when I come back, I'm coming back. Um, but it does drive intent and, and it does drive relationships as well in terms of athletes have an understanding of how important it is to take care of themselves outside of the weight room. And I think the education piece is understanding, like, look, this is the breakdown piece. The e- this is the easy part for a lot of people. It's just working out or just, you know, the conditioning or just all that in general. But what you do outside of here in the next few hours is what's crucial to what we get when we come back here next time. So with the force plates, um, you know, I only track so many metrics. I keep it simple. And, and I talk to you about as well as Drake, um, you know, because you, you you're right. You can get caught in a rabbit hole really quick trying to look at too much data. Uh, what's important to you at this time, that moment, and as you get more comfortable, then you can add layers to it going forward. Um, for me, I keep it simple. Um, I look at, you know, because we do counter movement jumps. So we look at MRSI, we look at jump height, time to take off, peak propulsive power, uh, as well as the asymmetry between left and right. So, um, and some other things too, but those are just the main ones. And, you know, what I've done with that data is even print it off and showed it to my guys so they can see the evidence of them getting better and to see the spark in their eyes, like, oh my God. And it's like, this is, yeah, this is your, this is what your hard work is getting you. See, it's not just the, the, the weight on the bar. This is also telling you how you're recovering and how you've actually made changes outside of just lifting it here with me. Um, so when that happened, I felt like things went from zero to 60, you know, with my guy or zero to a hundred really, uh, because now they're, they're, they're focused more and it's not saying they weren't, but now they're actually looking for those little things like, Hey coach, like, you know, what did I jump today? Am I, am I good today? Like, what's the percentage difference? Am I good? Am I bad? You know? And, and I got a small group, so I can kind of have that, that deeper conversation where it might be a little bit harder for somebody who has, you know, 65, 85 players on a team and, you know, you got to get them in and get them out so many times throughout the week. Um, but when they when they when they, when we started doing this, it starts doing the uh, the GPS. Um, so GPS, one of the things we I implemented last summer, um, and we um, we use it to try to track acceleration, you know, acceleration counts, and to drive again more intent uh, for these guys to be focused on what we're trying to get ahead. It also made these guys a lot more competitive, you know um unconsciously you know all of a sudden you know when somebody knows oh man i hit you know 22 miles an hour last week you know i think i can run faster than that okay great we got the right mindset but now let's 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 pull back a little bit now let's work on the little things that make you uh more efficient at the movement skill itself right we got to work on posture position we got to work on drive phase uh so even utilizing um gps along with the uh, force plates and trying to understand uh as a young coach what am I doing? Am I doing something right in my programming? Because it also drives the intent for me to be better as a coach. Am I educating myself properly or who I need to call? Um, I'm humble enough to tell you right now. I don't, like I said, I, I don't know everything, but I am smart enough to know that if I don't know, I know who to call to ask. And, uh, and, and shout out to you guys. You guys have been really supportive, man. And I thank y'all so much for that. You guys are constantly putting uh, great educational content out, which helps me. I mean, I, I catch myself on Instagram. Yes, on Instagram, uh, looking at y'all's content almost one o'clock in the morning. That's why I'm so tired. But 
but still blame Drake, uh, blame Drake. It's good. Content. It, is, it is Drake. And I'm gonna have a conversation with that. Like he needs to post between eight hours every day. Uh, so I can catch at least during lunch, you know, not when I get off work. Like, oh, wow, I never thought of it like that. Um, but uh, <laughs> no, 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 nothing bad against you, Drake. I love you, man. But, um, you know, the, the, the implementation of these different tools um, allow me as a coach to ask the right questions or to, to think in the right direction as pertains to these guys when doing a daily basis. And it's also good from a leadership standpoint to show them like, oh yeah, we got stronger. Oh yeah, they ran faster than a mile and a half. Okay, who cares? I mean, they, 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 can, they can easily see that off of just their times, but to show that, hey, you know, we are assisting in injury uh, reduction or reducing injury. Um, and at the same time, readiness and resiliency as pertains to their overall job performance has gotten better. We have the numbers to show that. And if they aren't getting better, it allows us to sit down and have that conversation in the right direction and say, hey, what's going on outside of here? That's where that mental health standpoint or the dietary standpoint or the, the, or the rehabilitation, the prehabilitation in terms of, you know, seeing the physical therapist or the athletic trainer uh, to get these guys to a better skill set overall. You know, I love it, too, the fact that using it to measure asymmetries, you know, because you have some people who are um, like, let's say, who might work in the um, police department, for instance, right? Or people who carry a lot of, um, you know, uh, armor and, 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 and battle rag, whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, you're carrying something on your right leg all the time for like two or three years. You know, sooner or later, you have to develop a pattern where your right leg is so much stronger than your left and you don't realize it. So when we squat, we naturally see a type, uh, a type of hip shift a lot, right? Because we're, we're depending on that dominant side. So sometimes we have to pull back and say, Hey, you know, we're not going to work squats today. Maybe we need to work on some hip planes, work on glute activation. Let's look at some, um, some adductor work or go unilateral as pertains to them in terms of just the squat in general. So this goes back to also as a coach, understanding that everybody walks through doors, not the same, you know, we can't train them all the same, but uh, you'll never know that if you're not willing to in embed yourself in their life and to ask the questions that what they do on a daily basis, you know? Yeah. And I think that is what everyone shoots to try to do but maybe can't implement it as well as they thought. You, you've already yeah. spoken about a couple of things here about just from a simple jump, you can get so many metrics and it's a yes. composite of that movement. Being mm -hmm. able to identify what part of the subsystem is impacting or not impacting that output gives you tremendous power. And especially if that is then added in addition with the GPS properly, to now have multiple dials pointing in the same direction to give you confidence because at the end of the day, the athlete is entrusted or the operator is entrusted their life with you to be able to prepare them for whatever their task is. And you can imagine to any individual that my GPS scores were good, but my plates were bad, but my blood work was fantastic. But, you know, <laughs> if your car, the dials in the car were all over the place, you weren't moving and it said you were going 100, you start to lose confidence. And I think proper implementation starts by doing it small and doing it efficiently and as you mentioned you know knowing that you don't know anything and i think i don't know what it is in strength and conditioning there's a lot of um i don't know if it's ego or what it is that people feel like it's bad to ask for help and i and i think i look at other sectors like technology or software of course you get on the phone steve jobs was famous for saying if i'm the smartest one in the room there's mm -hmm. a problem but if exactly. i can be the glue to bring together like minds that were in a silo at a university or at an institution or organization, if I can be that glue, that's mm. what you should take pride in is that that team that you built, that output that you achieved, because without you being the glue, it would have never happened. Exactly. Yeah. Now, walk me through too real quick, because I, I want to make sure we, t we touch on this. You, you've talked about what carried over. You talked mm. about the technology and implementation you've had. 
What are some of the things that just absolutely, if I'm a young coach, I'm tired of making $5,000, $10,000 in a semester, and I say, I'm going to go tactical. I've seen football. I know how that works. I've seen Power 5. I'm going to come in tactical and, and do it right. What are the biggest things, if you had for a piece of advice for a young coach to say, that does not carry over? You will either A, get terminated, B, you'll lose faith of your operators. What are yeah. the things that you just know that just do not carry over if you're a young coach thinking about it? Okay. Uh, number one, I would say be patient. Be patient. Uh, you're going to walk in situations. Um, not everybody walks in the door is going to be happy that you're there. Just being real. You got some people who like, hey, coach, I know you got a lot of great material. I kind of do my own thing. Uh, and I'm not saying you got to be cool with it. You know, accept the fact that this is where they are. And for a lot of these guys, you got really you weren't there for the six, 10, 15 years that they were in the military. They had to figure out their own. So I tell them, like, you know, the fact that you're you're active and you're in good or maybe decent shape is impressive. However, how I, as a coach do I I win this individual? You know, uh, one of the biggest things I would say in the military now is, you know, you know, it's nothing against it, you know, it's a big CrossFit, you know, mindset over here. Um, and that's kind of, I mean, I'm fine with that. You know, then they, again, I look at activity. Are they being active now? Grant, can we be more efficient in activity? Absolutely. Because if I walk in and say, Hey, you need to start doing this, this is stupid. You, then y'all have already lost you, you know, uh, again, meeting them where they are. You know, I have, um, I've, I've had a female, um, athlete that she's, you know, she does CrossFit all the time. And I told her, you know, she came and talked one day just because she had seen me teaching the Olympic list to a few individuals and she wanted to jump in. That was my opportunity to win her. And ever since then, you know, she's been very, very open about what she's doing in her training. And we've made progress with her to the point where she trained for me for a whole solid four months uh, before I actually had left her unit and made a 25 to 35 pound increase on her power claim because she wasn't aware. So you have to pick and choose your battles um, and be willing to understand that when you walk into the room, you don't have that authoritative type role as you would in terms of the college sector. Two, um, understand that, you know, kind of, I guess going back into one a little bit is they don't have to work with you in regards to what you're doing. This is still fairly new. So understand that this is fairly new. Um, more so understand that everybody you work with is not a door kicker. <laughs> okay. Uh, I think that's one of the biggest things that people say, oh, you were, oh, you were the military, you work tactical, you work with some badasses. Well, they're all badasses because they had to get here at one point. Uh, but somebody's got to sign the checks. Somebody's got to do the planning for the material to get downrange. Somebody's got to put the gas aside the damn jet. You know, somebody's got to put the gas in the tank. So there's a lot of things that we don't think about. The maintainers. Uh, it's not just about the flyers. It's not just about the guys who got the boots on the ground. There are other people who play a critical role that, again, like strength coaches, you will never know about because they're not talked about. So you know, giving these guys quote unquote their flowers at their time, uh, and and because most of them are excited to meet you because they're like, oh, you were at um my my alma mater you know i went to texas a&m i went to alabama i went to uh, georgia whatever it might be i have a few that everyone's actually went to my school at troy that's an opportunity so um you know you take what you can get and you let your work speak for you and let your personality be the light that everybody walks into um don't be a coach that walks in just demanding that you do as i say uh because they won't 
um, respectively, and they'll they'll let you. Someone will let you know. I haven't been told that, but I've heard some stories about that happening. Um, because in the day, any of those stories? No, <laughs> no, 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 no. But we're all going to have a great imagination about this, though. I can tell you what, right? For sure, it was a gentleman's conversation. It was, it was very a, eloquent. It was a, It was. It was. They they agreed to disagree. <laughs> Leave it at that. <laughs> there you go. Um, and again, right? You have to remember. You got to have a little bit of humble pie about you. You walk to the door. You got to realize you don't know what some of these guys even do. You know, you don't. Not everybody, like I said, is 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 boosting the ground. You know, kicking doors and and firing off rounds. You know, so you know what a lot of these guys do. You're going to work with people who are young, who are still trying to figure out who they are too. Maybe you don't need to be a coach today. Maybe you need to be a counselor, a mentor today. Maybe you need to be um, somebody who's going to help them get, because I feel like one of the biggest stresses that I deal with a lot of people on is, is, is PT tests. No, not because they can't pass it, but it's just like another, another task I got to get done. You know, I, I, you know, they're constantly in, you know, going 24 hours, depending on what, who you're working with. Um, but that's not just in their job. That's also psychologically, you know, they're stressed about their job. Um, they, they, they go to work, they do a job and, you know, you get instruction all day, go here, go there, do this, do that. And then you got to go home and be pop or mom or boyfriend or girlfriend or mom and dad's son when they call you because, Hey, you know, your little brother, you know, won the state championship today, whatever it might be. So you're juggling a lot of different hats, just them themselves. So as a coach, I try to come in and just, Hey, like, you know, What's going on, man? How you doing today? Oh, coach, I'm doing good. Okay, good. Well, well define good for me because you're not looking good right now. And for some of the light bulb, it's like, you know, it's, you know, this is going on, you know? And so again, going back, and it's not saying it doesn't happen at college. It does. I'm just trying to get people to understand that tactical is a little bit different how you approach people in the situation uh, because there is no wins or losses in terms of a, a season they're they're constantly in season i would say right um even when they're at home they're in season because you know they're training for the next operation they have to do exercise and you as a coach have to make sure that you apply um you know the most effective dosage for them in that time or that moment to get them where they need to be and i i can tell you right now i i love the tactical side because of that because it is actually challenged me as a coach to think outside the box you know, and if I ever did decide to go to athletics, I think it would assist me in becoming a better coach. There are other ways you can do. I mean, the private sector is just as good. I mean, I learned a lot working in um, personal training and 24 hour fitness at one point. Yeah. Yeah. You imagine walking and see me as a personal trainer, you know, sexy as I am. God almighty. <laughs> but, um, you know, I learned a lot from the business standpoint, profit, loss, financial budget, which I probably wouldn't have learned at college unless I became a head guy or somebody was grooming me to be a head guy. Um, but I think that's where the relationship piece came from for me was, you know, I had people working out that were 70, 80 years old, all the way down to 19, 20 years old. So I had a, I had a huge group to work with. And so when it came time for me to go back to college athletics, it wasn't as hard because I've dealt with that challenge of working with people who's like, you know, I don't have to be here. I'm paying for this service, but I don't like working out. Well, you know, why is this important to you? How do we make this important for you? What are you going through this moment that we can do in here to help you get better for that? And then kind of just transition from there into the tactical side. I think that's one of my, one of my biggest accomplishments is having a diverse background, uh, working at power five, mid-major, um, you know, even with a small division one or working outside the field to come back and to go to the tactical. So I think that's kind of a, 
the beauty of it within itself. So number one, just I would tell people those those two things for sure as you come into the tactical realm. Be prepared to be very flexible daily because that's that's how their lives operate too as well. Right, and I, I couldn't agree with you more about the personal training experience being so transformative. I would often tell individuals, you got a master's, right? You, you, know, you know everything, right? Cool, I'm gonna go throw you on the floor at a major gym, go New York City, Boston, um, and, and you gotta see if people wanna pay for your knowledge, because right? that's the way this works, is that if you are so smart and you know what you're doing and you can make these changes, well, of course it'll be easy, go, go sell yourself. Yeah. Oh, well, I well, if you bring me the customers, I'll train them. And I think that that's such an important role because until someone looks at you and says, yeah, I, I don't want to pay f- to train with you, that sucks. Mm-hmm. And I had a chance, uh, my 24-hour fitness was um, at the, the Sports Club LA in Boston, embedded in the Ritz-Carlton, 65 full-time trainers, keep mm-hmm. what you kill, 7,000, 7,500, I think, um, clients. And yeah, you might get a demo to like have a one-hour kind of orientation, but then you got to go close up $130, $90 an hour training session. And guess what? If they don't like you, they've got 64 other options or they just leave the gym uh, completely. And I think that that's one of the things that if you kind of take it from that perspective of I have a set of knowledge, I care, and I, and I agree with you. If your clients or athletes or operators don't know that you care, that's a yeah. big red flag. Because ultimately it's that relationship. I remember I had one lady, she kept buying 30 packs. And so you're talking like three thousand something dollars, and she was like, "I want you to stand next to me on the treadmill while I walk." And I was like, "Really? This does not seem like a great use of your resources." And she's like, "Nope, because if you don't stand here and talk to me, I won't do it." And she yep. Tuesday and Thursday, I would stand there and we would talk about everything. But within a couple months, she achieved a weight that she hadn't seen in years. And so again, putting my ego aside, if that's what we need, that's what we need. And then I'd go flip a rehab in the morning or work with an athlete or a bodybuilder or whatever it was. And you never want to be pegged as a guy. I think that's another thing too, this hyper-specialization and self-promotion of I'm the shoulder guy. I'm the knee guy. I think that's a really big trap for young coaches. You want to be kind of a generalist, learn obviously different domains, take a quarter, take a semester, kind of learn more about it. Know when to punt it up to a super specialist. But then also just kind of have you in your purview as like almost the CEO of what's out there. And I think more often than not, asking for help, your athletes will actually respect you more for it than you trying to have all the answers. Yeah. And I agree because there's been times I've had, you know, I, um, well, I, but we have a guy on our staff who, you know, is pretty well versed in Olympic lifts. And I've talked to him about it all the time. Like I, I've, I've done Olympic lifting, but I'm not, a, I, I'm not that well versed to where I'm like, oh, I know it all. And, and nobody ever is. Um, and, and I, going back to what you were saying earlier about your, um, you know, your, your, your personal training experience, work with individuals. I have individuals like that right now. Like not everybody who's in the military is this stud with a six pack, you know, that works out like crazy because they just love fitness. Some of these guys hate it. And I get it, you know, because I have to do everything, all these other things every single day. This is another task. It's not something, and, and I get it to, to a degree. So when you change that dynamic, again, you're not coming and telling these guys, like, hey, you got you to gotta squat, you got to deal it because, you know, blase, blase. It's like, hey, you're 22 years old. And the fact that you struggle to do certain movements that you should be able to do at this point in your life, it's a problem, Right. And then you make it relatable for me, um, more personal for me. I think my biggest push, um, now that I think about it was, um, my grandmother, 
Um, she's no longer with us anymore. She she passed when I was in grad school. But to be strong enough to carry my loved one, my grandmother, from you know, out from the house to the car to help my parents, that meant a lot, you know. Um, and so I tell people it's it's bigger than you. It's outside of just you lifting weights. Look at this opportunity that what's in a situation where active shooter, you gotta go. You know, being in shape, having a better uh, aerobic capacity also affects your uh, ability to think on the fly. You know, can you move and think at the same time? And because, and, and you know, at the end of the day, um, it doesn't have to be, you know, somewhere down range for something bad to happen. I mean, we see right now in the news right now, everything is happening across the world. I mean, you can just walk outside and go to Walmart and somebody's going to just unleash. Um, so being able to be strong enough to do the things you need to do. And then more so is I tell a lot of my guys, um, a lot of them have kids. And, and, and spouses and stuff and they want to do stuff with their families on the weekend don't you want to be able to go do those things without the mind without the fear of getting hurt <laughs> you know when when, it, when a guy can talk to you like hey coach i stepped off the curb today and rolled my ankle like just i wasn't paying attention you know it's like you know this is why i'm kind of here and when they see that and they're like okay now i'm fine um and but they want to stay into it so that's kind of how i look at it is just i want you like you're saying to, we're doing this for the long game I want you to be this for long. I want to teach you as much as I can now. So whenever you do get out, you know how to take care of yourself. This is this is a trickle-down effect. You you working out also helps you in helping you train your wife at home. Hey, you know, coach my, you know, I, I can't coach your wife, but I can give you some, some pointers, you know, on how to help out with your wife. Oh, you no, know, my son's playing football uh, at this high school. And we all know the big debate right now with high school in terms of strength condition. A lot of high schools don't have certified strength coaches. Hey, this is my son's squad. Is this proper? You know, you know, I want to tell him to fix that right there. Well, his coach tell me like, okay, well, you need to talk to your coach about this, right? Whatever it might be, not, you know, it's it's, it's bigger than than just you as a coach coaching them. It's you you become a part of their life in terms of their families. You do, and when people want to talk about their children, I, I love the fact that people want to bring their kids in the conversation. Like, you know, my son's getting faster or stronger, and you know, thanks, coach, for what you did. Hey, you know, that, that's a win, you know, because they they trust you, right? Yeah, I think. Early and often, I think back to my career about I gotta have the answers for the weight room. I gotta I gotta make sure I have the best plan. I gotta use the data. And I remember being called the numbers chaser early on. Mm-hmm. I remember you know when when data wasn't the new hotness, and and literally data could be you know a workout log or it could be attendance, right? Because that's an important metric. But then yeah. building it. But I think as I got older, I tried to think of myself as a solution provider. Yes. And so that means like you needed someone to talk to. I'll talk to you. Talk about anything. Well, it's embarrassing. It's fine because if I'm the co- only confidant you had, I'd rather you talk to me than hold it in. You exactly. know, if, if you need help with nutrition, no worries. We'll, we'll hook you up. Well, I'm embar- no, no problem. So when you think about where I think the field is heading, it's about being that positive, um, that positive source for people to come to, knowing that you have their best interests, and then continuing to build the tools in your toolbox, both personally, but then also within your staff and personnel to be able to help those individuals. And I think people would just be shocked to understand the amount of conversations you will have with an individual that has nothing to do with the barbell. Nothing. But because they're willing to come to you, because they know how much you care, you can tell them run through fire. And, and especially in the operator space, you know, working with some of the individuals in that group, you don't know what they just saw. You don't know if they were in a stakeout. You don't know if their best friend got shot. You also, if they've been deployed, they're coming home for the first time. Things might not be so hot. And so yeah. that time that they're with you, the thing that you're building is their confidence, not necessarily their bench press, but you want them laughing. And I would always tell young coaches, you know, you're doing it right when you're pulling the reins back. 
because they yes. want to do more. They want to come in earlier. They want to come in more often. They want to come in at all and try to really shepherd that to make sure that they don't, you know, through positive intentions, drive themselves into the hole. You alluded to the plates or the other metrics to say, hey, you know, good intentions. We need to, you know, work on a recovery or whatever. But I think that's really where we're headed in all aspects because we have ways to measure things. But if we don't have bedside manner, if we don't have the ability to administer the medicine through relationships and trust, I think it's all for naught. And I think yeah. there'll be failures across the board. Yeah, I agree 100%. Um, you know, and, and piggybacking off what you were just saying right there, I think I've had like four or five people come up to me this past, well, about the past two weeks. Um, and it's amazing how it's transitioned. When I first got there, people were like, oh, you know, coach, I'm going on leave and uh, I'm going to go on vacation or I'm going on a uh, training or TDY and I'll be, I'll be back in a month or two weeks, whatever, you know, what have you. I'm like, okay, cool. Now it's, hey, coach, I'm going on a training, a TDY. Is there anything I can do in a hotel, Jim? Sure. Just, uh, <laughs> you know, and now it's become repetitive. Now you're like, now I got a program people who want to travel and go on vacation or, you know, what could me and my husband or what can me and my wife do uh, while I'm only, I don't want to lose on what I've done so far. And it's, it's great. Um, it's more work, but it's great because I look back and I laugh on like, these are some of the people who didn't want to do anything. Um, but it's, it is important. And, and like you said, it's, if people are coming and talk to you other than about the barbell, you're doing something right. And I think for me, uh, one of the coolest things that I've noticed in the past, I don't know, three or four years, three years I've been here. When I first got to my, my location, a lot of, not a lot of people came down there because it was still new, but it was also because, oh, working out, whatnot, who wants to do that, right? Now I, I can sit in that facility all day and I can tell you right now, I'll have people just come in and just want to sit there and talk shop. Like, I may have anything going on, so I'm going to come in and just hang out with you for a little bit. What's going on, coach? Or you watch the game or uh, just little stuff. Hey, we got a football tournament coming. We want you to play, you know? And I'm like, are you sure you want that? Because I don't think that's good for everybody else on the base. I'm on the field. But, you know, you know, I don't I don't move like I used to no more. I think I barely move at all, you know? But, um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny, but I love it. And, you know, this past week, one of the groups I was responsible for training, one of the units, uh, just had a, had a – um, a week for them to celebrate their heritage and you know what their what their community does and one of them was just like you know coach you've been like in almost every event more than some people in the squadron you know and i'm like oh i mean i'm i'm y'all's coach i mean i, I take pride in the fact of being there for y'all and it's 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 a great feeling when people recognize that because you don't think about it like oh yeah they're selling chick-fil-a sandwiches of course i'm gonna be there that's chick-fil-a <laughs> um but <laughs> Hey, there's no, I would say right now, there is nothing out here in terms of food. There's some good food, but there's not a Chick-fil-A. So when you get it out of here, you got to get it. We just got a Popeye's. I'm telling you right now, they know me by name. Okay. <laughs> they know me by name. So, um, you know, I never gives KFC, but Popeye's is, is a little better. But besides the point, it gets me closer to home. You know, I'm from Alabama. You know, I like fried chicken. You know, it's good stuff. So, um, but you think about it, how much of an impact that you make to the point where your name is being brought up in rooms that you're not even in and it, it comes back to you. And that's a sign of you're doing the right thing. You know, I don't do it with the expectation of people are going to talk about me. I don't do it with the expectation that this will make me a better coach. I do because I just like being around people. I care about my guys. I will do anything for them um, that I can to help. And that's just how I've always been. And I think it's also um, a reflection of how I came up in the field, but more so how I was brought up. That's how my parents are. You know, my dad's like that. My, my dad's a social butterfly. I, I go out with him. I go home. 
Like, who do you not know? Like, <laughs> I mean, we'll, you know, and I see where my mother gets her frustrations. We'll, we, we will go to Walmart with the intentions of only getting 10 things. This should not take us long in 20, 30 minutes, people, you know, as a kid, you know, and who are you talking to? Oh, that was your cousin. <laughs> I didn't know I've been, ha- okay, well, who is that? Oh, I went to school with, it's just like, dude, who do you not know? And I joke about it a lot, but I am thankful because my father did that, you know, and he taught me a lot um, just being a kid. He's like, you know, don't ever be afraid to go talk to people. You know, they, they breathe just like you do. Um, and you have a right to have a conversation and at least introduce yourself. And so I'm thankful for that. So my parents, you know, kudos to them, you know, uh, especially my pops. My, my pops is a social butterfly. So I love it. <laughs> well, I can tell you just from the time that we hung out, you definitely just innately have that kind of magnetic personality that, mm. you know, if I'm sitting and having a bad day and, you know, I have the choice whether to go to the weight room or not, I could see how. If you're there, I might I might come down and talk. It might have a good time. And and that laugh or mm. that joke or that time just to hang out and decompress, that's training stimulus. That's recovery. That is. And I think that often in the world of metrics, it's like, well, how many recovery sessions did you have? Okay, cool. How many minutes of conversations did you have? And it was just so profound to see how mm. time and time again they would come out and say, you know, I I felt like shit that day. I was I, I didn't want to come in, but you know, you know, I knew it was the right thing and I, and I didn't want to let you down. I wouldn't want to let my guys down. And I think that that's so important is that as a strength coach, we have a gift to get people to buy into something bigger than them, which yes. sounds fairly straightforward, but it's mm-hmm. so hard to execute. It's so hard to maintain, mm-hmm. but it all is going to come back to whether or not the person to the left or right of them is worth more than whatever that impulsive thing they want to do at the moment is. And, and that's not something that just necessarily happens. Sometimes you have to mold that and shape that. Mm. And that just takes time. Yeah, it does. It takes time. And that's what I'm saying, going back earlier, you gotta be patient. You gotta be patient. I think um, coming in, uh, one of the biggest things we dealt with, or I know me in particular is when people find a strength and condition coach, people are like, oh, can we start doing power cleans? I'm like, whoa, whoa, pump your brakes, pump your brakes. <laughs> can you deadlift? Oh, I hate deadlifts. Oh, can you RDL? Oh, what is that? Okay, well, let's, can you hinge? <laughs> let's look at that, right? Nice and reduction so, in there. Nice reduction. You know, oh, yeah, you know, a little, a little nuggets in there, you know, here and there. Um, And I look at, but that's your opportunity to teach, right? That 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 creates that that relationship. It's like, okay, I'm, I'm trying to protect you. There are certain prerequisites you need before you start doing X amount of movements. Um, And I think it was, uh, I think it was Coach uh, Joe Ken, he was talking about in one of his, podcast or interview or whatever but he talked about like the basics and the fundamentals we we have to attack them every day every day can are we moving properly before we try to load this body of yours with external load and so i know for me the biggest thing i i was big on um when i first got here was i noticed a lot of a lot of issues we had a lot of injuries was because we had a lot of restriction within the joint infrastructure so you know um, i was lucky to um implement certain um routines i guess um like you know i know one of the more popular ones right now is the implementation of uh the functional range conditioning or frc um so cars you know pails rails and right now for most of my guys we just, we just stay at cars and, and it's been huge 
Um, again, right, you have to pay attention to the detail of those who you're responsible for training. Um, some people sit for X amount of hours, tight hips, tight hamstrings, right? So mm-hmm. these are things we have to implement. Were you about to say something? And could you could you bring that back though? Because I know you just mentioned cars and pails and like well, for someone who doesn't know, because we have listeners kind of yeah. all over. Could you just kind of give a 30,000 foot view of that? Because I think it's so important that whenever we bring up a concept, that mm. individuals kind of know that it's a thing, it's established, yes. it needs to be do a, done a certain way um, yeah. in order to get the results. And I think that the mobility stuff that you're talking about now is often yeah. overlooked because it's not sexy. It's no. not fun. And it's not something that you immediately are going to be like, wow, I feel great. Like, how much did you car today? Yeah. But it's so important to the overall long-term plan, but it has mm. to be done right. So could you just unpack that a little bit? Yeah. So within FRC, there are different, um, I would say, levels per se, uh, the how we attack the body in terms of active range of motion uh, to, you know, because anyway, you have passive range of motion, active range of motion. And, you know, the difference between being flexible and being mobile is number one, right? You got a lot of people who are flexible, who have no mobility. You have people who are mobile, but who have no type of flexibility. So we try to find uh, that middle ground because you need a little bit of both. So within that, you have the cars segment, which is the controlled articular rotations, right? Which is for a lot of people, it, <laughs> I go through it a lot because my guys are like, oh, it's like an arm circle. No, it's not an arm circle. It's a controlled articular rotation. And so culture, lingo, like these things affect how we interpret things, you know, coming in and going out. So I tell them like, no, listen to what I'm saying, control. I want you to have full control, find, feel and find where you have restriction and try to work around it or improve it through these set exercises. And by doing so, we actually do increase range of motion uh, with their mobility as it pertains to, I think the biggest one within a lot of my guys was shoulder mobility as well as thoracic extension. Um, because again, right, depending on what they do, uh, if they sit for a lot or if they don't sit for a lot, they like, again, if you work with somebody like um, your uh, police department, right? There were a lot of armor, right? You can become very interior, interior dominant as it relates to the shoulder in terms of the tight pecs, um, around the upper back, so thoracic spine, um, even to some degree, um, cervical spine and having some issues as well. And then also we know it affects the lumbar. So with that, um, we try to attack the areas, again, most people is their hips, um, their knees and their ankles as well. So again, everything, I, I kind of believe like the posterior chain for sure. Um, you attack that posterior chain, it will correct most of that stuff. And so by implementing these um, control ticket rotations, so the cars daily as a routine, uh, we have seen so far within, I know she's not with me no more, but my, our last physical therapist, we were sitting and talk. And just by implementing these exercises in conjunction to actual strength training, we saw a reduction in the amount of people that she was seeing on a, on a weekly or daily basis. Um, and if they had injuries, they were pre-existing but we were able to manage them a lot better and they were making improvements as they're going through the actual training. So um, that was one of the certifications I was thankful to get um, through my job. And it has been um, very beneficial. And now it's amazing because now again, that, that teaching piece, we implement something that now becomes embedded within them that you, you see them doing all the time. Um, that along with, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the RPR reflex performance reset. So um, which is basically, you know, we're basically stimulating the, the central nervous system through the, through the vagus nerve, um, basically, um, to uh, basically attract or not really attract, but obtain a parasympathetic state versus a sympathetic state. So we're trying to get in for that fight or flight to arrest and digestion relaxation, because, you know, you can't be sustainable in such um, a stressful environment all the time. So 
these are just different tools in the toolbox that we use to help these guys on the daily basis. Again, you know, as I said, mobility and at the same time, parasympathetic, sympathetic state, right? It's about the recovery piece and how well we move because in a day being big and not being able to move properly does us no justice. So how do we make these guys more functional in terms of able to do their jobs on a daily basis with at the same time, they're getting stronger, but we're also knocking down that injury outside of just the physical, but more so the psychological in, in, that, in that regard, in that respect. And I think people just have no idea, as you alluded to within the military or any of the tactical space, just how different the day-to-day interactions to their training or to their job is. And, and I know we had spoke at the dinner about yeah. looking at some of the information coming off the plates, and I was shocked looking at some of the asymmetries. I mean, these were post-ACL bad. These were, you don't get, you are red-shirted today bad asymmetries. Mm. And then you go ask a commander and it's, oh, this is one of our top guys. Well, we start thinking about it. And then you think, oh man, like in CQB, when they blade out from the stack or they go and they do different maneuvers, they're doing it over and over. And actually your top operators have years of this. And as you alluded to earlier of the five pounds here or the 10 pounds there, Mm. in and of itself, not a big deal. But on a 15 year career, that could actually be, if not addressed, the thing that takes you to an 18 year career versus a 30. And so being able to identify not only output metrics of performance, but the strategy that you're using isn't very conducive to longevity. And I think that's where I hope we can make the biggest impact. And and it reminds me for those listening to how would you treat a pitcher? How would you treat a, uh, a batter or a golf swing where you have these high velocity rotations or as you mentioned, you know, someone has to pick up crates of ammunition or if they have to put a torpedo on, if they put a missile on a, on a different machine, maybe they have assistance, maybe they don't. Maybe they're deployed and actually their quote unquote workload or volume is at a level that their body hasn't seen. You, you can't change that in the moment. What you can do is give them recovery strategies that in and of themselves don't seem so important, but allow them to do their job. And, and again, ultimately in the tactical space, you're not playing for trophies. You want to make sure that they come home. You want to make sure that the country is safe and you want to make sure that they can get back to wherever they came from in one piece. So hats off to the fact of you're integrating this stuff early and often within their time. And and I'd love to just kind of segue to this last piece here. Mm. We've seen tremendous change in the field. Tactical is in its infancy. Mm. Where do you see it headed? Is it going to break out like division one, division two, division three of operators, support staff, administration, can you really link holistically all three levels or is it going to have to break out? Because one of the things that concerns me the most right now is anytime something's new, there is that learning period. And when you think about 1,600 new people moving into that space, that's a lot of jobs. I mean, I couldn't think of 1,600 people off the top of my head that operate at a level that maybe our, our service needs what are your thoughts on that from a quality control or is it going to be tiered and and can it really the h2f program or some of the thor programs of the past have really tried to dip their toe in the water what how does how do you see this shaking out honestly it could either it could go either way i think it is going towards the first um what you first stated you know you got your like we'll just say like for the air force you got your flyers you got your maintainers you got your support i mean you got different types of groups um and with that, I think what's going to happen, and I could be wrong, is going to transition to a point where you're going to have um, different training philosophies for every different group, which is automatically, it's kind of happening right now as it is. Um, 
it's I don't think the division the one type mindset in terms of people having to work because there's too many people to track at one time. It is a lot of people in our military, um, thankfully. And with that, it's it's hard to really try to mm, kind of put everybody in close segments together, mesh them together, because again, the needs are different. You know, you might have some guys like maybe they don't need to work out four days a week. Maybe they need to do like two days a week. Maybe the biggest thing for this group is working on just, you know, getting from, you know, it's it's stress related. Right. Maybe, you know, so everybody's have different needs. I don't think we're going to we're not there yet. I think we're working towards that. And with that, we probably won't be there within a few more years because there's being data collected. Right. And somebody sitting there looking at this thing from a big picture. I hope they are. And and trying to break this thing down um, to simplify it, because right now the thing is, is with tactical being so new, you're getting all these coaches and all these other um, uh, uh, areas within the field added in. You're starting to see that you have a lot of numbers with one coach. So now they're trying to fix it. Like we need more coaches. And at the same time, that's great. But I also believe we also need more physical therapists. We also need more athletic trainers because uh, as training evolves, we're going to, we're going to run into some walls. We are. And, you know, you're already dealing with some people who have injuries who you just don't want to say anything about it. Cause they want to be, you know, Hey, I don't want this on my, on my record or whatnot, or want to affect me in any kind of way, but eventually you're going to need more of everybody. Um, the hard thing about it is where do we find them? And um, the good thing about it is I think tactical is going to be very competitive when it comes to trying to pull coaches from uh, collegiate professional side, because it is a different situation in terms of work-life balance. That's one of the things that kind of pulled me over to this side. Um, however, you're going to have those people who are, you know, really strong in, in, in their beliefs and bringing in athletics, which is perfectly fine. Uh, I tell a lot of guys, this isn't for everybody. You know, it's no different than somebody working in professional sport versus working in college. Um, so you got to find what fits you. I just tell people, just keep open mind about it. Realize, again, this is new. This is a new process. They're still trying to figure things out going forward. It's not going to be perfect, but you do have an opportunity. What is the opportunity? As a young coach or a mid-year level coach, you have opportunity to help shape and develop your philosophy as a coach and also to help discover who you really are as a coach and also work in a unique uh, community to make an impact, to become a part of a different type of family as relates to our nation's military. These guys deal with so much, so much um, that, you know, you, you sometimes like, am I doing enough? Um, I don't say that, in, you know, take away from college athletics, there's some kids who deal with a lot of stuff and I've been in a lot of rooms. I've been in a lot of conversations and I, I know. Um, so I'm just saying that, that it's a different type of stressor when you're 18, 19, well, I say 19, maybe 22 year old, and you're doing things that a lot of 19, 20 year olds aren't doing, you know, playing a game versus actually doing the real thing is a whole different type of mindset. And at the top of that, you know, you got to realize you you're doing a lot of movement within it. You might be here for a while. You might be over here. I mean, you got guys getting sent overseas to do jobs. They're going to be over for two or three months. You guys going to be sent to Florida, might be sent to Washington, whatever it might be. So um, with that being said, just be flexible um, as a coach, as it relates to this, because, you know, you might walk through, you might get a great group and all of a sudden, Hey, you know, coach, I'm, I'm leaving, <laughs> you know, um, you know, a guy, your, your, your best athlete, quote unquote, might be PCSing to a different base. You know, how do you deal with that change? Because again, in college athletics, you know, you got them for three or four years, you know, at least um, before they get ready to generate for a draft or whatnot. So that's kind of one of the things, but going back to your question, it's, it's really kind of hard to tell right now because we're still in that 
uh, developmental stage as it relates to the tactical side of things. But I would not be surprised if it shifts somehow. But again, we won't know until we get enough, I would say, enough data to actually support the cause or the reason behind we change we know how we do things. So. Well said. And again, too, very lucky that our guys and, and our, our men and women that are out there protecting the, our way of life are getting access to this. It's long overdue and something yeah. that I hope that it continues to develop and to being, you know, the available resources that they need in all forms, whether it's science, technology, staff, personnel. Um, mm. They are what keeps us uh, being able to live the life um, that we have. So I could yeah. talk to you all night long about this <laughs> stuff and it's always a pleasure. But I know you mentioned a little bit before. I want to give you a shout out. Could you just tell everyone the name of your podcast when it drops and then also to the best way to contact you or get in touch if they have any further questions yeah so um i have started my own podcast this past year uh it's called the broke strength coach podcast it's on all platforms um also um if you want to get in contact with me the best way to reach out to me would be through my email um or on instagram my instagram tag is oh i forgot my name yeah, two seconds i can pull up uh <laughs> <laughs> don't judge me man I, I know i i'm always on there and i never painted my name but people always add me so i'm gonna give you guys my so my if you find me it's uh coach underscore erskine e-r-s-k-i-n-e underscore 16 um so that's one way you can find me on social media i'm also on linkedin uh i'm very sociable so don't feel like you can't call me or i mean i call me but uh reach out to me do not call me on facebook that's kind of creepy um <laughs> i am on facebook as well uh, I'm not hard to find. And also, if you reach out to me via email, I'd like just to have a direct conversation. Uh, my, my email is jmersko uh, at gmail.com. Do not ask me how I got that nickname, Ersko. Um, it happened in college, and we're going to leave where it's at. So, yeah, so that's where uh, that's where I am currently. Um, and then my podcast, I'm actually, actually, I'm interviewing Drake tomorrow. Let's go. Well, awesome. you guys are awesome. I thank you all for having me on the show, man. I appreciate it anytime well thank you so much and again everyone thanks for listening we'll see you next week